0: As we gathered here this evening, we had the chance to chant together in praise of the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha, the Triple Gem. This method of bringing our attention and our minds to these subjects of the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha is one means we can use to develop mindfulness. It's a kamatana or a meditation object that is especially powerful for those of us with faith. This faith in the Buddha, the Dhamma and the Sangha, when developed through such chanting and through thinking of these objects systematically Constitutes the practice of Buddhanusati, Dhammanusati, and Sanghanusati, recollection of the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha. And it's a meditation object that the Buddha praised. When we think and bring to mind, think of and bring to mind the Buddha, then rapture or pity arises in us easily. And this rapture can be of many different types. We may experience it in different ways. For some, the rapture will cause their tears to flow, for them to begin to cry. For others, the sensation of the body will shift, and one will feel that their body is becoming tall, expanding or becoming extremely light and floating. Some may feel a sensation of coolness pervading their experience. And others, along with a lightening in the body, may experience a lightening in the mind to the point where they feel as if they are floating. All of these benefits and this powerful rapture can come simply through the recollection of these extremely wholesome objects of the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha. And so we should try, whenever we're able, to practice chanting. This should be a daily thing that we undertake to do. And we should work to memorize the chants that we use every day to understand their meaning and to let them sink deeper and deeper into the heart, clearing away the dust inside of us of doubt as we begin to internalize the meaning of these chants and the depth of their praise for these objects which we take as refuge We can think of the Buddha, of his profound compassion and kindness. And we can think of the teaching, the Dhamma, which he gave to us, how it is pachatang, something to be seen by oneself. Some ask how one knows if another practitioner or if oneself even, have become a sotapanna or a stream enterer. Some ask how we can know if we have seen Dhamma or become a level or a member of the Aryan Sangha in this way a senior monk once asked Ajahn Chah this same question, wondering how he, Ajahn Chah, had attained, or if he had attained, to some level of enlightenment. But Ajahn Chah responded with wisdom, admonishing this monk to not be interested in the attainments of others, he compared it to looking at another person's dish. Rather, it's much better to keep one's attention focused on one's own dish of food. To see what another has in their dish is useless to one. Furthermore, Ajahn Shah saw that if he'd answered this monk clearly about his own attainments, then this monk's, monk and others in the Sangha might get attached to Ajahn Chah as an enlightened being, get attached to the label which he would classify himself under. And so he avoided doing this. Rather, Ajahn Chah admonished his disciples to understand that we practice not to become, not to take on new identity as a Sotapanna, a Sakadagami, an Anagami, or an Arahant, that is a stream enterer, a once returner, a non returner, or a fully enlightened Arahant, the different levels of enlightenment, but rather we practice in order to let go of various identities and thinking in terms of gaining new identity is not useful. So this Dhamma, which the Buddha gave us, is something we just need to know for ourselves. It was well expounded, and it is a profoundly deep teaching. When we recollect this teaching, then great faith, and rapture can spring up, just as in we recollect the Buddha. Or similarly, we might turn our minds and attention to the subject of the Sangha, the collection of noble beings, how these disciples of the Buddha have practiced well, how they have practiced directly, how they have practiced to completion and seen the Dhamma, bringing their hearts to a degree of purity and letting go of all upadana or attachment. They did not practice to become, but rather to let go, as we should. One of the issues with practicing or applying labels to the results of one's practice, for example, wanting to understand if one or another is some level of enlightened being, is that whatever view we might form of our own or others' attainments may change. And similarly, our internal state may change. And so it is safer in the beginning or throughout the practice to just not attach, to recognize these views as just that much. Once we taste the Dhamma for ourselves and see enlightenment, then the heart will become free of its own accord and the labels lose importance. Such labels are a conventional label, but the heart that's free from suffering is Vimuti or Liberated. And so Ajahn Shah avoided telling his disciples about his attainments and also about others' attainments. He recognized that if he spoke to such things, his disciples might become attached to them, might develop various uh, fears even around. Or intimidation around that level of attainment that he described himself as having. And so he avoided that whole realm and all the difficulties which might arise from it by avoiding speaking of such things. Some disciples were also skeptical about how Ajahn Chah could know so clearly the minds of others. Some believed that he had the ability to see the different levels of attainments of his disciples. Ajahn Chah responded by saying that it is not difficult to see where a monk is in his practice. One can simply observe the way he walks, stands, and acts, and intuit the state of his mind. This was how sharp his wisdom was. He could see where people were simply from observing their actions. At that time, in Ajahn monastery, and also in the time of the Buddha, monks would test their practice by going to fearful places. And... When fear arises, the Buddha and Ajahn Chah both recognize the power of this meditation object of Buddhanasati or the recollection of the Buddha and the Dhamma and the Sangha. The Buddha taught that if fear arose in a place of dread, that one could recollect the Tathagata, the Buddha, and dispel that fear. And this is another benefit of this meditation object. When I and other monks went to cremation grounds to confront our fear, sometimes that fear grew so strong, I felt I might go crazy. Either I was afraid of various things such as spirits or different consciousness or entities arising and confronting me. And sometimes the trepidation from this fear or these thoughts was so strong that I felt the mind might lose all sense of control. But at that time, I was able to bring to mind the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha, And such recollection gave me a profound sense of peace. The fear disappeared. And as that fear disappeared, wisdom was able to arise. In fact, for those with faith, this meditation object of the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha is profoundly powerful. And if one confronts fear in this way and is then able to calm the mind through such a meditation object, then an even greater degree of wisdom has the chance to come forth in one based on the strength and intensity of that fear and the power of the resulting letting go that comes from this powerful and faith Based meditation object of bhuddanusati, dhamanusati, and sanganusati. The greater the fear, the greater the peace, and then the greater the wisdom. But in the meantime, before moving to such dire circumstances, we must establish the basics of our practice as given to us by Ajahn Chah. The new monks who have come and ordained for these months must practice learning to get up on time at an early hour, to go alms round every day if not ill, to help clean up the eating hall after being finished. Once they've gone to their kutis, their huts, they should endeavor to apply themselves to study to memorizing chants, to cleaning up their dwelling place. In the afternoon, they should meditate together and then help one another clean and take care of the monastery in the afternoon. After this and sharing a brief tea time, they should shower and walk up to the uposatha Hall to meditate together into the night. And if they manage to establish this basis of korwata, of monastic etiquette within our community, then their minds will be cool and at ease. This is the foundation of all other practice. It's our sila. Similarly, if we've just ordained we should be careful to protect the precepts that we have just taken on. The 227 uh, rules in the monastic code are important to protect carefully as they are new guidelines by which we must live. Additionally, we must work to contemplate the requisites which we partake of every day The chant we use, patisankayo, is a way of bringing to mind repeatedly and regularly the use and value of our four requisites of robes, a dwelling place, medicinal requisites, and food. We contemplate to use the appropriate amount of these things and no more, to not be careless. We can also contemplate them as elements breaking them down and dispelling our attachment to them. Or we may contemplate them as a suba, as inherently not beautiful, and so give up attachment in this way. So if the new monks come, ordain and apply themselves diligently through such practices and such contemplations, then they will derive great benefit from this life. While the power of the meditation objects of Buddhanusati, Dhammanasati, and Sanganusati are powerful, especially for those of a faith character, there may be some who have not yet developed the degree of faith that might make such a meditation regularly enough to hold the practice. And in such cases, one who has wisdom may contemplate emptiness. Effectively, emptiness is, in some senses, the contemplation of the Dhamma. Because emptiness is Buddha... It is inherent in all things. And the Buddha at a transcendent level is the Dhamma. And if we contemplate in this way, then these meditation objects can, in a sense, align with one another. Though this entry point through emptiness may be most appropriate for those of great wisdom. So, in a week's time, our Uposa today will align with Asalaha Puja. This was the day when the Buddha gave the seminal discourse of the Dhamma Chakapavatana Sutta, in which he expounded clearly how. Phenomena in the world arise, remain, and cease. And in this and other seminal suttas, he taught about how the world changes. We can contemplate in line with this, thinking every day about one other thing in our life, which is changeable and shifting. We can ask ourselves if anything in our lives is permanent Even the body, which we attach to so tightly, changes. And as we look at it more carefully, seeing its aging, decay, and death, we understand that it, too, is not worthy of being taken as a self. Even those elements in the universe, which seem the most long-lasting, stars, galaxies, the planets, Earth, everything, Changes. And as we see this, we understand deeply that all conditioned phenomena are anatta, are characterized by the unworthiness of us calling them self or taking ownership. And as we see this aspect of anatta running through all conditioned phenomena, we, in all phenomena, then we see all things as Dhamma. And in a sense, this also is Dhammanusati. It's contemplation of Dhamma. As the citta sees this truth, it becomes empty or encounters emptiness. And this is what happened to Anya Kondanya, the Buddha's first disciple who saw Dhamma. One of the five ascetics with appropriate spiritual qualities, that when the Buddha taught the, the Dhamma Chaka Bhavatana Sutta, he was able to understand that all things that are of the nature to arise are also of the nature to cease. And this insight brought his mind to the first level of liberation. The Buddha had traveled after his enlightenment many miles, to teach the five ascetics, his former companions of practice. And although initially they had determined to not receive him with respect, believing him to have reverted to a life of luxury, they eventually gave in due to his demeanor and also his assertion that he had never before claimed to have achieved awakening but that now he had and wished to show them or teach them. This argument convinced them and they prepared to show him the respect that was appropriate for him to teach the Dhamma. And upon teaching his first, su- his first seminal teaching to them, the Dhamma Chakravatana Sutta, Anyakondanya saw the Dhamma and became the first of the Arya Sangha. If we don't see this arising and passing nature of all things, the Anya Kondanya Sa, then we suffer because we cling. We suffer because effectively we are fighting the way of nature. And so Ajahn Chah taught us to constantly see in our experience and lives those things around us as not-self, as changeable, and to let go. So on this June 28th, 2020, I want to encourage everyone to put forth as much sincere effort in their practice as able. And now I will allow... Uh, one of the monks to translate